In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. This morning I want to ask a question, but it's a question that you've heard before in song. Have you ever been in the right place, but it's been the wrong time? I think most of us have, right? Whether it's a house or a job, a relationship, a school or college, something. We go somewhere and we go, oh, this is really where I want to be. This is what I want to do. This is who I want to be with. And the timing's wrong. And no matter what you do, no matter what you try, it just won't work out. We may have even had the experience of going and trying it, and it doesn't work out the first time. And then a few years later, we try it again, and everything just slides and clicks into place. Hold on to that feeling for a moment. In the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning. Now Luke here is starting the second book that he wrote, the Acts of the Apostles, with a reminder of what, what the book of Luke is all about. We'll get to the book of Luke here in a little bit. But to start the Gospel of Luke, he said this, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who are eyewitnesses and servants of the Lord. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, Theophilus, so that you may know with certainty of the things you've been taught. Luke here is saying, listen, I'm not my witness, and I can't testify to everything that happened here, but I spoke with the eyewitnesses. I heard Mark and Peter and Paul preach. I heard the stories they told. And then I went out and started talking to the people they mentioned by name in their stories just to confirm it. And Luke has a lot of unique stories, right? He gets stories from Mary, Jesus' mother, from her cousin Elizabeth, from Anna, from Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Susanna, Zacchaeus. We get the story of the ten lepers, but only one came back to thank Jesus. We get unique parables. The Good Samaritan, the Prodigal Son, the Pharisee and the Publican, the Rich Man and Lazarus. And I think for most of us who grew up in the church, we've heard those stories time and time again, so I just mention the title, and the details pop into our mind, right? Luke went out and spoke with women, the poor, the outcasts, and the apostles. He went and spoke with everyone. Then he wrote this. After his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them for 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Now Jesus, after the resurrection, spent time preaching and teaching among the disciples, talking about the kingdom of God. And I'm sure a lot of this was explanations the things he'd been trying to tell them for two or three years now, right? The Gospels are full of all these little side notes where the writers say, he was talking about his death here, or we didn't understand it at the time when he said it. Here, they all understood that Christ had died, and he was resurrected now. And he was explaining all of this as he told them to go and wait in Jerusalem. The disciples then want to know Jesus, it seems to be the right place. Is it the right time? Right? They ask Jesus, Jesus, now that you're back, can all the rest of those prophecies be fulfilled? Is this when we get to get rid of the Romans and get you as our permanent ruler here on the earth? 
Jesus gave them a lesson we still struggle with today. He told them, this is the right place. It's not the right time. We're waiting on the Father's timing. He knows what's best for the whole world. He tells them to wait until the Holy Spirit's poured out so they can share the gospel first with those in Jerusalem and then spread it throughout the whole world. And then he says, it says, when he said this as they were watching, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. Now we say it in one form or another every Sunday at the Creed, right? He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. We pray about it during the Eucharist. We say things like, Recalling his death, resurrection, and ascension, we offer you these gifts. Or his mightiest resurrection, his glorious ascension. We use those terms every single week. That's how important it is. And as they're standing there, suddenly two men dressed in white appeared. And what do they say? Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking up at the heavens? This same Jesus, who's been taken up from you into heaven, will come the same way as you saw him go. Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. This is the promise that he's made over the last few weeks in our Gospels, right? Don't be distressed. I'm going to prepare a place for you. I love you. I'm sending the Holy Spirit to be with you when I'm gone. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I'll return. And here they're saying, listen, this is the right place, but it's the wrong time. And then Acts said they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Our psalm says, clap your hands, all you people, shout to God with a cry of joy. Now, our response to everything Jesus did, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, is one we should celebrate with great joy. We should be joining, able to celebrate with the psalmist here and be excited about what God has done. God has gone up with a shout, he writes, the Lord with the sound of a ram's horn. We know when God works in our life. We know when he answers our prayer. We also have to remember that God reigns over the nation. God sits upon his holy throne. He's the one who puts leaders in position of power. And we can be rest assured knowing that it's God who answers our prayer. And he's in control. And that's why we pray for them every weekend and every time we pray, whether we understand God's plan or not. Paul writes, I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints. Now Paul here is writing to the Ephesians, and he begins his letter talking to them about the many blessings that they have in Christ. In the first 14 verses, he reminds them, listen, you're God's chosen family. You have God's favor. You've been forgiven. He's shown us the mystery of his will. He's given us and promised us an inheritance. He saved us and he's redeemed us. And now Paul says, I've heard of your continuing faith in Jesus and your love for the saints. And you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. Paul tells them he's praying that wisdom leads them in everything that they do from then on. That the hope that they have, the faith that they have, the trust that they have in Christ is well-founded. And it's well-founded because God put his power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rulers and authorities and powers and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the ages to come. Paul's tell them that when Jesus ascended, he was brought to God's right hand, where he's above all and over everything, all the things that we worry about, over all the rulers, 
over all the powers, anything and everything in that age, in every age, that we worry about. His name is above all the names, now and forevermore. And then to emphasize that, Paul said this, and he's put everything under his feet and made him the head over all things for the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Paul says, listen, Jesus is not a disinterested ruler. He's not a watchmaker that set the world into motion and left everything to continue. He's in charge. He has everything under his feet. Have you ever had something under your feet? Not just the green earth, but something like a snake. I want to ask if you ever had one of your brothers or sisters under your feet. Don't know that I want to know the answer. I can say that I have, but when they're under your feet, they're not going anywhere, right? Best case scenario for them is they get you moving and you fall on top of them. But these, there's nowhere to go when you're under someone's feet. God's in control. And Paul says, listen, it's when the church doesn't listen, when we quit loving each other or we place our faith in something else, that's when we end up in trouble. Jesus said, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Now Luke here ends the Gospel of Luke with the same story that he begins the Acts of the Apostles with, the Ascension. And he covers much the same ground in both, with just a few different details. Right? Jesus opens their mind to understand Scripture. He gives them a master class in how the law, the prophets, and the Psalms, how everything written in the Old Testament relates to what he did and is doing and will do. This time, they seem to be confused, not by what Jesus was saying about himself, or maybe what they couldn't accept beforehand, that Jesus had come to die and then be risen from the dead. Now they've lived, lived through those things. They understand it. Now they're just confused about the timing. And Jesus says, because you've seen all this, you're my witnesses for these things. The Bible says he led them out as far as Bethany and lifted up his hands and blessed them. And while blessing them, he withdrew and was carried up into heaven. Now Bethany is around the side of the Mount of Olives. You've got to go around the base of it. It's a couple of miles from Jerusalem. Mary, Martha, Lazarus all live in Bethany. And before he gets there, he gives them one final earthly blessing and goes back. And what did the disciples do as they waited? They worshipped God, waiting on Jesus' promises with great joy. Now we know from Acts 1-8 that they're going to go beyond Jerusalem. We're going to see in the first few chapters in Acts that they get scattered. That God wants them not to wait forever in Jerusalem, but to wait and stay faithful for his return. And today we still wait for that time to be right. And it's very hard some days, I know it is. But as the church, we can be assured that one day, the time and the place will be right. And as we wait, let us continue to wait like we read they did in the early church. That reading we had a few weeks ago, right? That they continued in the teaching and the fellowship the breaking of bread and the prayers, encouraging each other as they waited in hope and in love. When we have the opportunity, let's invite others to come with us and join us as we wait. I pray that God gives us all opportunities to encourage each other 
and to invite others to come and wait on the Lord's return. Amen.